Um, I'm going to pray for us. And, uh, and today, we're, we're stepping into kind of week two of what's really this three-week series that I'll introduce in just a moment. And I, we, we need the Spirit, right? Like, we always need the Spirit of God to teach us. He's the only one that transforms us. Um, but I'm thinking, like, we just need, like, an extra dose of his conviction uh, and his, uh, his calling on our lives as Christians uh, and, and really just an opportunity for him to flaunt what he's about in his kingdom. And so will you guys bow your heads and pray with me one more time? Father, I'll be honest, I'm, yeah, you know me, I don't get, often get anxious about stuff. Lord, but the realities of just wanting to preach faithfully, God, your word, and its intention and its meaning for us as a people. Lord, I pray that you would just do all the work. I pray that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be open, that we would see and hear from the Bible and from the conviction of the Spirit. This would not be, hey, Vince thinks this, but this would be Holy Spirit. This is what you've done and what you're doing, and you're longing to reflect and represent that to the world. And so, Lord... Would you come in power? And would you come and, and God, remind us continuously, Lord, of, of the grace we've received and how we are to be a grace-filled people that seek your kingdom first for the sake of your glory, our joy, and for our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I got a couple phone calls this week. If you're completely unfamiliar, we started into kind of, again, this three-week mini-series in the midst of the book of Ephesians as we're just kind of going through the text uh, on the topic of reconciliation, both vertical and horizontal, with many of the implications becoming racial, as we think the text points to. And so um, this week, it was great. I got a phone call from a couple friends in town, a couple other pastors, guys I like, guys that really love Jesus. And, uh, and one of them said, you know, man, like I listened to the sermon last Sunday. I said, great, what'd you think? He said, you really don't care how many people show up to church. And I <laughs> And I said, dang, man, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And so we, we kind of dialogued about kind of what was behind that comment and, and what that looked like and, uh, and began to kind of discuss that. And it's not just this issue. It's just, man, contentious issues of culture are not often things we want to talk about. Like, it would be great if just every week we could show up and just talk love just talk grace, just talk mercy, right? Just talk fun and joy and these things. But that's not what we often get in Scripture because it's the real history of a people trying to be faithful to God's calling and the Spirit in the midst of that trying to teach us how to do it better. And in a messy and broken world sometimes, uh, messiness and brokenness kind of need to be part of what we talk about. Okay. And so I just remember talking to these guys this week, and so I want you to know uh, they're praying for all of us as well as we kind of delve into this, and I think it's good. Um, and, and I told them, this is how I'm starting off week two, is with what I'm about to read to you right now. And they said, you really, really don't care how many people show up on Sundays. Because what I'm about to read is an article that I read uh, by a pastor named Brian Zahn back in 2014 that he wrote, and it was a sermon that he preached, and let me be very honest, it's very kind of provocative. Like, it's like, ooh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and the first time I heard it, I had all sorts of kind of, kind of I don't want to say pushback, but just uh, alarm bells and, and what about this is and all that kind of stuff, which I, I think is there because he's not a perfect guy. This isn't Jesus. This isn't the Bible. Uh, but I think what he can share with us is helpful for our conversation uh, and helpful if we put ourselves in a place 
of learning, right, and trying to listen, which is difficult for humanity uh, to kind of close our mouths for a second uh, and listen, which is ironic because I'm just talking to you for 45 minutes. But that being said, let me read this to you. Okay. It says this. I have a problem with the Bible. Uh-oh. Okay. Here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm a comfortable Babylonian. I am a Roman in his villa. That's my problem. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judean deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman occupation. No, I'm a citizen of a superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire. One of the most remarkable things about the Bible is that in it we find the narrative told from the perspective of the poor, the oppressed, the enslaved, the conquered, the occupied, and the defeated. This is what makes it prophetic. We know that history is written by the winners, and this is true, except in the case of the Bible, it's just the opposite. This is the subversive genius of the Hebrew prophets. They wrote from a bottom-up perspective. Imagine a history of colonial America written by Cherokee Indians and African slaves. That would be a different way of telling the story, and that's what the Bible does. It's the story of Egypt told by the slaves, the story of Babylon told by the exiles, the story of Rome told by the occupied. Well, what about those brief moments when Israel appeared to be on top? Well, in those cases, the prophets told Israel's story from the perspective of the peasant poor as a critique of the royal elite. Every story is told from a vantage point. It has a bias, perhaps even my own. The bias of the Bible is from the vantage point of the underclass. But what happens if we lose sight of this prophetically subversive vantage point of the Bible? What happens if those on top read themselves into the story, not as imperial Egyptians, Babylonians, and Romans, but as the Israelites? Well, see, that's when you can get the bizarre phenomenon of the elite and entitled using the Bible to endorse their dominance as God's will. This is Roman Christianity after Constantine. This is Christendom on crusade. This is colonists seeing America as their promised land and the native inhabitants as Canaanites to be conquered. This is the whole history of European colonialism. This is Jim Crow. This is the American prosperity gospel. It's the domestication of Scripture. As Jesus preached the arrival of the kingdom of God, he would frequently emphasize the revolutionary character of God's reign by saying things like, the last will be first and the first will be last. How does Jesus' last, first last aphorism strike you? I don't know about you, but it makes this modern-day Roman a bit nervous. Now think about Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom with the proclamation of his counterintuitive beatitudes. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, how well was that received? Well, it depends on who is hearing it. The poor Galilean peasant would hear it as good news or gospel, while the Roman in his villa would hear it with deep suspicion. And that's the challenge I face in reading the Bible. I'm not a Galilean peasant. Who am I kidding? I'm the Roman in his villa, and I need to be honest about it. I, too, can hear the gospel of the kingdom as good news because it is, but I need to admit its radical nature and not try to tame it to endorse my inherited entitlement. I need to be better. I need to be humble, hospitable, and generous. You see, I have a problem with the Bible, but all is not lost. I just need to read it standing on my head. I need it to change my perspective. If I can accept that the Bible is trying to lift up those who are often unlike me, then perhaps I can read the Bible right. Okay, how are we feeling? 
Like, that is a tense thing to read. It's a tense thing to hear. Uh, and like I said, the first time I heard it, there were like these, ah, well, but what about this, right? And one of those, what about this, and maybe that's popping off in some of your heads, was, well, what about Paul, right? Like, Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He was the religious elite. He was the powerful. But then you just read what he wrote, and he said, no, 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 I counted all that as rubbish, and I laid it down. Why? To lift up the Gentile church. So, so even maybe the one example we have, New Testament of a guy of significant power, he lays it down, but then chooses to wield it at right times for the sake of those who are outside. So, so this thing is like difficult to hear. And we need to hear it as a whole, okay? This is not a, hey, you are. This is a, hey, we need to, okay? Uh, we can easily kind of interpret this as just like, oh, well, then this is what he's really trying to say about me. You know, like, try and pull yourself out of that context and just say, man, could some of this be true? Like, do we not exist in a place? And this is everyone who's been born in this nation, for the most part, hear me, has been born into privilege as opposed to another place. Okay? This is just a reality. And so how do we understand, then, ourselves in light of Scripture? And who should we most identify with? And so what we get today, as we jump back into Scripture, is an opportunity for us to look really clearly at who we should be walking with, identifying with, and what does that mean for the mission of the church. Right? Now, I want to say this on the front end. I am honestly like delighted by all the response from last week. Okay? Uh, there was a good amount of, hey, loved it, thanks for sharing it, that was great there was also a good amount of other stuff, okay? Critiques and comments, and I'll tell you what, here's what's amazing, uh, is there was not, um, I'd say, a single person that did so in frustration, that did so uh, with attack or with malice, um, and often a lot of the critique was incredibly helpful. Uh, and so a lot of you that are in the room, and I can see your faces, like, thank you for saying something. Uh, and thank you for calling me to greater visions of truth because the reality is this is not something like I'm an expert in, right? Like in the application of this, but I think we can be experts on, you know, what is Scripture saying, okay? And I think we can be experts on, okay, well, God, what does that mean? But then when it gets down to brass tacks, sometimes it gets difficult, and I understand that, and so I thank you for everyone's input and thoughts on that. And the other thing that, the, uh, that these other two pastors said is, you know, and the whole thing of, like, do you think people will stick around or whatever? And I said, absolutely, I do. Because I think, and I told them that we underestimate the desire of the people of God in our churches to be the church and to follow the gospel. I said, it's our job to deconstruct some of the lies and some of the walls that inhibit what they're doing. Okay. And so I don't know everyone's story in here, but I'm so happy that you're here and I'm going to say this last thing on the front end as we work through is if you have something that you're like, I don't agree with that, please just follow suit with many of your brothers and sisters this last week and talk and engage and do not flee and run, okay? That's my desire. Now, some of you, this maybe is your first Sunday with us and you're like, what just happened, okay? Like this, you're just like, this is, what are we talking about here? And so I remember being in high school, I remember getting invited to this gal that I was uh, dating at the time. She's like, hey, come and meet the family, right? Uh, come and meet the family. And so I show up for Thanksgiving dinner, and it ended up being, and I, this is me, BC. This is before Christ did my life. And this family was like super Christian, 
right? And so I walk in, and they're, like, literally putting a name tag on me that has, like, a cross on it. And, like, I think they're, like, if I do enough stuff, it will just kind of get inoculated into me. Like, I'll just become a Christian by being in their house. And so it was a bit awkward. And so if this is your first time being in our community, joining us on Sundays, it might be a little weird. It might be a little awkward to jump into kind of a family meeting atmosphere where we're just going to be honest with ourselves and honest of what it means for us to be a church moving forward. Okay, um, like I said, we're in a three-week miniseries. Uh, the first, uh, the first point from last week, or the main point from last week, was the idea that we have been reconciled with God vertically, uh, and then the second part to the gospel is that we've been uh, horizontally reconciled to each other. And that oftentimes what we do is we say the gospel is just the vertical reconciliation, right? We say, well, God, Jesus came into this world. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die. Was raised on the third day to give us new life, not just here, but for eternity. And we say, that's the gospel, this vertical restoration and reconciliation between God and man. It wasn't, it wasn't like, so we're here, here. He came down to us. We're now reconciled with God, which is true and good. But there is a second half to the gospel that we oftentimes forget and is a reconciliation between man and man. The vertical and the horizontal, both gospel. This here is not gospel, and then this here, the implication of the gospel. The whole good news is that God is restoring and redeeming everything, our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. And so he's tearing down walls of hostility and division, okay, in the church in Ephesus and in the church in general across the entire Roman landscape. And he's desiring to do that in the world today as well to tear down the walls that we should be able to identify and say, let's tear these down for the sake of creating a more beautiful vision of God's people that the world would see and the world would want to know. So that's everything to catch you up. Week two, now we're going to look at the first so what. Okay. So this is going to be kind of a so what to the redemption and reconciliation we have horizontally, vertically, in light of what does this mean for the church like, what do we need to focus on internally? What do we need to, like, rethink, change, move forward in, okay? Uh, and then next week, uh, <laughs> Anthony's going to come up and talk kind of more, what are things for us to think of on the national level a little bit, okay? Um, and so I'm, when I told him, I said, hey, man, I think this is the great breakdown, is I'll talk about the church, and then you can go and confront the national idols. Uh, and he loved that. So <laughs> do give him grace next week. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so that's kind of where we're going. But today, the focus is on what does this mean for us, right, in the church. And I want to say this last thing, and I know there's a lot of kind of caveating on the front end, but if you're here and you're not a Christian uh, and you're just kind of listening, like, thanks for being here. I know this could be kind of weird, but this is like what the church is supposed to do is talk and learn together. That's why we gather, is to worship Jesus, glorify him, and then learn for the sake of his glory, our joy, and the sake of our city, okay? And so thanks for, for just being with us. All right, so... Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18. I'm going to read through it very quick. It's just a recap of, of reading uh, that we did last week, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, the new text. Okay? It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hand. So at one point, the Jews used to mock the non-Jews, is what it's saying. Okay? That if you weren't Jewish, you used to be mocked using this terminology. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, so again, vertical restoration, horizontal restoration, invited in, walls of hostility. And the main point we have to understand, this is only possible through the blood of Christ. Okay? This is not something we can just really work hard on and then we arrive. This happens because of Jesus. What he has accomplished on the cross does something supernatural in the way it draws what is different and separate into one. He does this. And so he has to be at the center of any movement towards this. Otherwise, it is futile. Okay? He has to be at the center. Now, excuse me, this is, I'm getting heated. Now what we're going to get in verse 19 is the first kind of so what. So then, here's what this means, okay? And so let's read the first verse. So then, verse 19 and 20. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, now I want you to kind of, if you can, right, Put yourself in place of the first century Gentile, the first century non-Jew, okay? And you've just been told or you've been reminded that at one time you were on the outside, that you were a stranger, that you were an alien, that you weren't a citizen, and we'll talk about terminology and what that means in just a moment, but you were out here, and now the good news of the gospel, because of this restoration, God has brought you into the family of God by the blood of Christ, Where you were once a stranger and lost, you are now a found member of the household of faith. Now, if we could step into the oppression of the Gentile community in first century Rome, it was significant. Okay? And so along that came with not just a title change, was a lifestyle change was a, I get to walk through life differently type of change. It was a, hey, those people don't hate me anymore type of change. And what we see even in the earliest parts of our early church, in the first few centuries, this was not just done overnight, that this took time. We even see later in the book of a letter to the Galatian church, this moment where Peter, right, is doing the exact opposite of the conviction here, right? He intentionally is sitting away from his non-Jew or his Gentile brothers and sisters because he doesn't want to be seen in public with the other, even though the theology has been brought, right? That they understand, no, we've all been brought in, but Peter, right, the cornerstone, the one with whom Christ would build his church shortly after he knows these truths already is saying, I don't want to be seen with the Gentile. And so he goes and only eats with his Jewish brothers and sisters. And then Paul comes in and wrecks shop in Galatians 2 and calls him out and says, Peter, what are you thinking? You are not obeying the gospel. And so so this takes time, right? Even for the, the holiest of you, right? Even for the best leaders amongst you, the ones that think, I got this figured out. I know it. I believe it. It's in my blood. Even you are susceptible. So we always learn. 
There's a few presuppositions that are absolutely necessary if we as a congregation and as Christians want to be shaped by Scripture. And it's true about everything, and I think even more true in hard passages. Now, how many, and this is kind of rhetorical and silly to even ask, but how many people would say that you are a perfect person, right? Like you've got life figured out, you have arrived, right? And no, no one would probably say that, right? Because you know there's work to be done. You have not arrived, we're not in heaven, so sanctification needs to happen to you to make you look more like Jesus, right? Now, oftentimes, when you learn the depths of your sin, usually comes in line with the more you learn about the gospel. I understand that I'm more sinful and depraved now than I did 15 years ago when I got saved. Like, I remember when I first got saved, and I remember thinking, well, I'm pretty good. Like, I remember being at a conference and seeing Camps Crusade for Christ leaders come up on stage and talk about their pride and some of their sin. I remember thinking, like, gosh, man, that must stink that I've only been doing this for three months and I'm a better Christian than you are. The irony in that pride, right? It's usually that the more we jump into Scripture, the more that we study the gospel, the more we realize, God, we're not there. Now, that's easily true for us, okay? I think think we can own that. Now, the church is filled with all of you and all of those people who are not perfect and have not arrived, meaning the church is not perfect and has not arrived and needs to be sanctified. And the more we preach the gospel to it, the more it should see the depths of its sin, not the less. The more it should see areas of, man, maybe we haven't done this the best way. And we should course correct. But sometimes there becomes, I think, some idolatry in the midst of that. We're easy to tear maybe ourselves down for a moment, but wait, wait, don't don't critique this. And then let's go to the next level. So if that's true, right, and we have the Spirit of God, we have Jesus, we have the gospel, how much more true must this be for our nation and our world? Filled with imperfect people. Many who don't love Jesus, certainly. And yet sometimes critiquing our nation is like anathema in the Christian church. When shouldn't it just make sense that, guess what? Our nation is filled with broken people that are sin-filled and need sanctification, churches that need sanctification, so then it's a nation that needs sanctification. And the more we preach the gospel to it and apply the gospel to it, the more, not the less, should we see the deep underlying needs that she has. The more we need to peel back the layers and say, no, man, we believe that people are far more broken and depraved than they'd ever dare believe. So we need to apply that as well and say, man, even on the surface, if it looks good, we kind of know that even, man, it's easy to hide stuff. And so let's pull away from what it looks like for us to just operate in a place where it's allowed to hide forever. The reality of, I mean, you guys all probably drive vehicles for the most part, except for a handful of you young kids. But when you drive, I remember I had this, Anthony and I, we both had these uh, Hyundai accents when we first moved up here. It's like driving a hockey puck in the snow. Not great, not recommended. Okay, um, and, and it was great. Like we had like the same car. His was I think one year newer. It's the one I knew. He was like my, my Patronus. And so um, if you're driving this thing, it had this small kind of back window, passenger window, okay, and had kind of a bigger rear window, and then there was this massive column in between the two. So when you would try and go and check your blind spot, you couldn't see it. 
Like, and I swerved and cut off probably half of you over the first couple years here, okay? So in order to see it, I had to literally like lean over to see, okay, there's a, okay, great. Now I, can, now I can get up. Or I could just ask whoever was sitting back there, okay, to say, hey, there's reality of blind spots is they're blind. You cannot see them. They're really difficult to find. And the easiest way to diagnose if they're there is by listening to the people around you. This is true about all of your sin, and it's true about this, I think, for the church, okay? And for our world, okay? That they're blind because we cannot see, so we need to be exposed to them and let us, be know, and let us then say, all right, well, if that's true, let us then work on it. And I will admit that I am chief among those who has blind spots. Personally, in my own life, in issues like this, And so that's why this moment and the moments that we seek to have after this, that's why all of the people who took the time to critique and to call and to email this last week, I welcome and adore because the idea is not let one of us be right, it's let the gospel be preached to the beauty and the glory of God. And so, man, I welcome what I don't see because there's something more beautiful that is to be attained, I do believe. Okay, so... Let's keep going. <clears throat> um, da, 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 da. Ephesians 19-22, I, I read, right? No longer strangers. And let me do some terminology with you real quick. Um, when they say strangers, to be a stranger, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is taking the language of the Roman Empire and co-opting it for kind of his purposes within talking to the Ephesian church about what it means for Gentiles to be brought into the family of God. So when he says strangers, this literally meant someone who was not a citizen, who had zero rights and zero voice, Okay? Zero status amongst the Roman Empire. And so he's saying that these people existed within God's church as well. That's why he's critiquing the Ephesian church here. So there were strangers, and then there were aliens. Aliens within the Roman Empire were non-Roman citizens that, at the same time, they had a handful of rights based on potentially where they were from or how they got there. And so there were a few instances where you kind of had some of the minorities or some of the aliens that, yeah, they actually did have some rights, but not all of them. And then you had citizens like Paul. You had these people with all rights and all power and all privilege and all voice, and they could speak into things. Intentionally, what we see in Acts chapter 21 is Paul in his power, which he often laid down for the sake of the church. In this moment, he picks it back up to use it for the glory of God. What happens is he gets arrested and imprisoned, and he goes and he's walking through the courtyard and he desires to address the people about God and about the injustice of the moment. And so he invokes his power in that moment as a citizen, invokes his voice to be able to change the situation. And so he's literally walking along. They don't know who he is. And then he appeals to the, to the centurion there and says, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen. Let me address the crowd. The guy says, you're a Roman citizen? And he says, yes, let me address the crowd. He says, you sure? You get it. And so then they goes and he starts to preach to the people that are there to listen because he had power and he had a voice and so he could speak into this. Now, Paul is intentionally using all of this language and applying it to the church. Saying that there were, the Gentiles, listen, you used to be strangers, those outside with no power and no voice, no status, no rights. There were people that, listen, they were aliens and now they're being brought into the church. There are people who had no power on the whole, but a handful of rights. So now they're all coming together to be something far more beautiful. Okay? Verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, man, this, here's what God's doing, okay? So, so, so God is drawing all of this difference and this diversity that he has created, by the way, right? He's drawing it all together that we would be a perfect dwelling place for God. A holy temple where the beauty and the majesty and the ministry of God would go forth from. And the Gentiles had to be part of it for it to be complete. I love the vision. He's like, so here's the thing. We're bringing in people. We're bringing in people. It's all one, unified in the blood of Christ. And now because that has happened, we can be the beautiful home for the Lord unto the world. These Gentile believers, as they came in, that they completed God's church. That without them, it didn't make sense. Again, because you cannot preach only half the gospel. Now, what does all this mean? Um, When I became, excuse me, when I became a husband, uh, things changed, right? Like, my identity changed in a sense. I'm still me. But kind of my main title, my main uh, kind of uh, obligation, and I don't want to use that in like a, I'm obliged to hang out with my wife, but and my main obligation was now my family, okay? Because I was a husband now. I used to be a single guy, but now I'm a husband. And so becoming a husband means certain things. If I still act, right? The way that I did as a single guy, but now as a husband, there is disconnect. In other words, if I continue to hang out only with Anthony and my boys, that would be a terrible way to be a husband. If someone ever comes up to you and says, man, I didn't even know you were married, that's a problem, okay? Like, where are you spending your time, friend? No, I should be with Verity, around Verity, together with Verity, every moment that I have the opportunity because that's who I am now. When I became a parent, right, when I became a father, that the world should be able to look at my actions, who I'm around, and say, that makes sense, he's a father. So if I hang out with Finley and James, even when people don't think they're mine, right, we've talked about that, Um, like it shows, oh, oh, he's a father, that's his identity. One of the things he does. Every title is like that. Because that's what you become, and you have to step into the fullness of what that means. So the church here in Ephesus is being called to become a more beautiful vision of who God is and what it means to be home in his kingdom than the world had ever seen. And the way to accomplish that fact was making sure everyone was at the table. So there's a couple questions that we're going to do for, implica- for implication application for us that we have to ask about us. So the reality is, listen, that was all then. And there are issues that are different. I get that, right? We're not talking Jew-Gentile relations in 2018. But how do we take what God was doing, the thrust, the passion, the heart, the conviction, the mission, this beautiful vision, how do we take all that and then apply it to where we're at today? in honesty and in truth, and hope for something better. So the first question is, well, we have to, it's kind of a set of questions, if you will, um, but who have been the strangers in our world? Okay. So, so if Paul's trying to address this again. He's using this language to co-opt into the church. Who have been the strangers in our world? Who have been those, okay, who are here that did not have rights, okay, did not have a voice? 
Now, there, there are multiple populations, but predominantly Native Americans, okay? African Americans. That's, that, okay, this, this is just a reality of our story, okay? Who, who are those who, who are aliens? Who, man, maybe because they got there a different way or they're from a better place, maybe they had a little bit of rights, but, but not fully. Well, man, that's Asian Americans. I can tell you some stories from my own past and family here. Um, how, about, how about we think, there's a kind of another category I think we need to kind of add in, into this that I think would be helpful just for our conversation. Um, <coughs> excuse me, is um, kinda citizens. And that would be women. Because for a long time, right, in a history of our, of, our, of our nation and of our world, kinda, but you can't vote. Okay. Kinda, but all this isn't available to you. So, so okay, these, these are the realities of our history. And so some of us are immediately going to, but that's not it today, right? Like now it is equal access. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Like in a, there's equal access, but I would debate you to say there's equal opportunity. I'm going to break that down in just a second. Okay. That just because the paper, right, the paper says that we're all good doesn't mean the people behind the paper are all that good, okay? doesn't mean the structures and the systems have all of a sudden just caught up with what we've been able to write down, okay? And so, so I think that's important is that we understand that right off the bat, that there have been people for a long time in our country that have not had rights, that have not had a voice, and we discipled them unto that as a nation, that we told people for hundreds of years that this is who they are. When you tell a human being that he's not worth anything and then he's worth three-fifths of something, right? Like to think for a second that that doesn't just, just build its way. Like we, as a church, we know that a little leaven, right, goes through the whole loaf. That that stuff disciples a whole culture to certain belief and certain thoughts, And if we did it for three to four hundred years, it's probably not going to get undiscipled out of people in 30. Okay. And so how does the church then say, okay, well, this is just a reality of where we've been? What does that mean for us moving forward? Okay. Um, the second question I think we just have to ask ourselves um, is then what does it mean for us to become a perfect vision of God's home? Right, a place of safety, a place of unity, a place of rest, a place where the nations will gather, right? which we know is just a foreshadow to eternity in heaven. Revelation 7, right? that behold, I looked, and what did I see? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation gathered, praising God. I find the language so beautiful. Why include, if it was just, hey, just all the people praising God? No, no, he calls out, identifies difference. And says, no, all the tongues, all the tribes, all the nations, they'll all come together to worship Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, but we can, we can be a foreshadow of that now. Okay. So what does it mean for us to be a perfect vision of God's home? I think it's a place where as people come into the family, now citizens, that then they have the rights of the citizen, which is also a full voice to speak. And I don't know if that's always been present. And I think, I'm just going to let you know, we're going to go probably about five minutes long, and I apologize. Um, 
I think in order to be able to have a voice and to listen well on, on, on the other end, right, is we need to kind of figure out and understand some common terminology that I think has been hijacked, and I would say predominantly by media, so that there would be more division, okay? Words like privilege, everyone breathe, okay? Now, this term, and I get it, sounds jacked up, okay, initially, because it sounds like, but I've worked really hard to get where I've gotten, and that is absolutely true if you have. If you haven't worked hard, then no, you haven't, but you know what I'm saying, okay? We have to understand when, when that term gets thrown out, it's probably what? White privilege. When that gets thrown out, okay? And there's, there's a lot of vitriol around that. And I think, again, this has been hijacked in its, in its intentional meaning to pull us away from really pursuing uh, like health moving forward. When that term kind of comes up, what's being operated is a, is a distinct belief, okay, that it is easier to be white-skinned than dark-skinned in our country, okay? Now, this does not mean that your life was easy. This does not mean that you didn't have to work hard for where you got to. What it means is, is that one aspect of your life was easier than it was for someone else. Now, let me put it in this way. I was raised by two honestly unbelievable parents. Like I could cry, they just left this morning. I could cry thinking about them. They're incredible. Some people don't have that privilege to have been raised by two parents. Some people didn't have the privilege to be raised by two parents that got to work from home, so I got to see them every day. Okay? I grew up in a middle to upper middle class home. That was a privilege I did not earn. I didn't do that. It was a privilege that I was able to do that. I went to a really good school, and I got a really good education. I had teachers that went to my school that were the top teachers in the whole state. I didn't hire them. I didn't pay them. That was a privilege for me. And the list could go on. When someone says white privilege, it doesn't mean their life is easier than yours. It means that it's easier for that one aspect of your life than it is for another. And if you still contest that, man, please come and engage and let's talk about that. And if you do, okay, I understand it, like, but let's dialogue because, man, when you sit down and you begin to really have these conversations with the minority culture, I mean, you say, no, it is a different way to walk through this world. Like next time, I'm going to Prescott again for, for uh, an, another kind of foster care and adoption thing, and I have to think through, am I going to sit down at lunch and be asked if I'm a Muslim again, a Muslim terrorist? Like, that stinks, Okay? Is it going to like, define me or am I still not going to go? No, I'm going to go because that's just silly and foolish. I get all that. The other day, I'm walking into, uh, we're walking out of Safeway, right? And it just happened to be that, that me and a bunch of other brown people, we're all walking out of Safeway together at the same time. And a white couple walks in, older, maybe 50s, 60s. Sorry if you're 50 and 60. I didn't mean to call you old, but I'm, you know what I'm saying, Okay? <laughs> Older than I, <laughs> so, you know. Uh, and they, and he, he says, man, you people are everywhere. And I look around, and it wasn't just like old, it wasn't just young kids, like young, okay. It wasn't just middle-aged fathers he was talking to. It was a bunch of brown people. And I, I literally go, this is perfect, I'm preaching on this. So I said, what do you mean by you people? And he said, 
immigrants. You immigrants are everywhere. And all we're doing was like causing this type of inconvenience in his life. Right? Heaven only knows if I had actually done something to him. Right? And I said, listen, man. And I told him, I said, look, thank you for doing that. Like, this is a perfect illustration for Sunday. And I invited him to church. <laughs> Rich, are you here? No, it's fine. That'd be amazing if he showed up. 11 will be at the 11. Yeah, that'd be great. It's different to walk through the world with white skin. And that's because the majority of our country happens to be that color. Okay? Most places happen to look like that. I got great friends in here, white, like white friends that lived in minority communities. And it was different for them to walk through those type of communities than it was vice versa, right? Because they look different. There's assumptions that are made. And so because our nation, so do you understand what I'm saying? So this does not mean, so if you hear someone say, man, there's white privilege, don't get offended and say, oh my gosh, do you think I didn't work for this? No, you did work for it. Great job. Way to go. That's not the gospel, but way to go. And say, all right, you know what, you're right. And understand that there's all sorts of privilege in this world that we did not earn. We believe in a gospel that we did not earn. We believe in a gospel that God came and got us in the midst of our rebellion. This should be an easy concept for us to buy into. Okay. Now, uh, another one uh, is, uh, where is, um, dang it, man. Okay. So, Black Lives Matter. Um, and I'm picking two of the most contentious to say if we can talk about these, the rest should be easy. Now, the reason why, like Black Lives Matter has kind of been, I think, again, pulled, and, and I'm not trying to say, I think some aspects of media are great, but I think they're trying to pull it to say it's, it's, it's yeah, more, devised, more division and all that kind of stuff. But here's what I'm saying. Um, Black Lives Matter, the antithesis, it seems, to that is what? All lives matter. Now, that's absolutely true. All lives do matter. Like, there's no one not saying that all lives matter. What the black community is saying is that for a long time, it has not felt like our lives matter. And there are some things going on right now that make us still feel that way. So we're going to say, hey, black lives matter because it doesn't look like they do right now. Now, whether you believe that's true or not, what I'm saying is let's listen and experience their reality. Why is it that so many from the black community are saying, no, man, like my life, I don't think matters to you. We don't need to sit back and then break down their argument. We can just listen to a brother and say, well, all right, man, well, why is that? Why is that a truth that you live in? Let's talk. Let's engage. Let's weep and lament the reality that people in our nation feel left out, ostracized, broken, and like they don't matter. It should just sadden us. And then we go and engage and talk. We learn. And in opportunities, we use our power for the sake of those on the outside. Okay. Um, the second question, I cannot be talked without me addressing kind of some of the critiques that I got this week. And I'm going to try and make it really quick. Um, one of the ones that we got this week a lot was, uh, why did you guys just decide to preach on this? And, and this is very important to me, OK? 
okay, to answer this properly. We didn't, okay? Like, we opened up Ephesians chapter 2, and the next passage we were supposed to preach was verses 11 through 18. And, and, and so from the bottom of my heart and almost every commentary and every theologian that's out there is going to tell you that 11 through 18 is about racial relations between Jew and Gentile. And so that's what we preached last week because we just preached through books of the Bible. And that, that's predominantly what we do here. So this wasn't a, well, Vince has got this and he just wants it. No, it's like, no, we're going to talk about Scripture. And why are we talking about it today? Because 19 through 22 continue off of 11 through 18. And next week's passage will do the same. So we just want to learn. I want to engage Scripture, honestly. The second one was, um, and, and this one I got a lot, which I, I really do appreciate because it revealed, I think, the heart of so many of you and the issues you care about. But it was, well, why not these other issues, right? And I was like, yes and amen. Right? So, I mean, I got emails on pornography, uh, pedophilia, sex trafficking, po- uh, poverty and homelessness, single moms, right? I got emails on all this stuff. Why don't we talk about that? I'm like, we, well, one, we do, I think. And then two, that's just not what the text talked about last week. And then three, and this is very important, no one's disagreeing that those are problems. There's disagreement about this one. No one's going to come up and say, you know, you know what, man, like sex trafficking, not a big deal. Right? Like, we're, no one's saying that, both in and outside the church. No one's saying that homelessness and poverty, not a problem. No, no, we all agree. But there's massive debate about, listen, not that maybe, the, I don't know if there's a ton of people saying this is zero problem, but the scale and the spectrum of where we land on how much this is a problem is very wide. And so that's another reason why we talk about it. Another one, uh, I got this a bunch, uh, just stick to the gospel, Okay which I'm like, this is the gospel. We tried to continually paint that, and I'm going to keep saying that. This, the horizontal, okay, reconciliation is the gospel. And again, like th- this one, and I got that a bunch too, was from a lot of people who are like the most reformed people I know. And I'm like, dude, you believe in total depravity, right? Like you believe that you earned nothing, And the line that kind of kept coming up is this reality that, listen, you cannot love justification and not love justice. It's got to be both and. They go hand in hand with one another. If you're like a champion of justification, God has set us free, made us right in Christ, we are justified. It's a beautiful doctrine of the Christian faith. Well, great, but listen, love that and love what that means. That then we pursue justification and justice for all. Okay? Um, I got you're just young a few times, okay, which I get. I am young, right? I'm 34. I haven't lived through a lot of this like some of you have that were sending in those critiques. I get it. Like, and so, yes, I'm younger than some of you that wrote that stuff. I was older than one person. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm older than you, you know? So I shouldn't believe what you wrote, you know? And hear me, I get it. Like, I've been around enough to know that if I say something versus if, uh, like, an older, predominantly, like, an older white guy who's a professor at a seminary says something, like, that guy, right? Like, I've been in multiple kind of conversations and debates, uh, debates, just, you know, dialogues, hopefully, with people where they're like, ah, I don't agree with what you're saying. Then we went and saw someone who didn't look like me but was older, whiter, and male, well, maler, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that was awkward. Okay. <laughs> then I, and they're like, can you believe what he said? That's amazing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> man, like I've been saying that for months. Okay. And so again, I am young. So go and listen to people who don't look like me then. Because more and more, there are brothers and sisters out there that are speaking loudly that might be easier people for you to hear. And I don't care if you don't believe me. I care that you believe that this is something that the church should care about for the sake of the gospel. This isn't please listen to me. It's, it's please listen to the Bible and to those preaching. There was a, a conference this week called Together for the Gospel. And if you have never heard of Together for the Gospel, it, it's mostly, hear me, mostly, like a whole bunch of old white dudes. It's great. And they're brilliant. And they teach such profound things about the gospel, and I love it. And this week, like, like, I think like five of their talks out of like 12 were on race relations. You had guys like, so Piper was there. Uh, this guy, Legan Duncan, which I don't know if you guys know him, but he's like the oldest white guy on earth, okay? And he's like, this is the, the title of his sermon was The Whole in Our Holiness. And it was all about race relations. And all these guys coming up to the plate and saying, yeah, this is just something that's just obvious in the word. So if you can't hear me, that's fine. We'll send some people you can listen to, okay? There's like a David Platt. If you guys like Platt, Platt preached like maybe the boldest sermon of all of them. And the guy has like 11 degrees. Like that's not even like me being facetious. He just keeps studying. The guy's brilliant. Now, um, last one, uh, you're a bit naive uh, and swayed by media. Now, again, maybe. Uh, and media, man, you're right. Like it's, it's just like it does craft our story. And so I think we need to watch it, we need to engage it, we need to pray for our journalists, right, to be able to report and to do it with integrity. One of the most frustrating moments that I had was, was last year, and this is not, we're not trying to engage this conversation on what you believe about DAPL, the Dakota Pipeline stuff last year, but there was this moment where I'm scrolling through Facebook, right, and on one, right, on one person's status was an article by, by a left-leaning media organization that said, uh, woman's, woman's arm blown off in, uh, in attack on uh, Dakota Pipeline protesters, right? And I was like, dang, that's crazy, right? The next person down, a more conservative friend, posting from a conservative news media says, woman's arm still attached, type of thing. Like, I'm paraphrasing. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, that is an objective truth that we should be able to get to the bottom of. Either the arm is there or it's not there. <laughs> How can we debate about the presence of a woman's limb? And that's where we've gotten. That's where we've gotten. And so uh, for, for that kind of stuff, I, I agree. We need to sift through and be wise. And then the scriptures must be our news source. Secondly, people must be our news source. If you have only formed an opinion on this based on what you've watched or read and not based predominantly on scripture and then secondarily to sitting down and engaging with other human beings, you need to go back and start having some dialogues and conversations. Because it's never all this and it's never all that, right? There's generally a pretty beautiful middle that then the gospel can wrap and make something special and splendid. Um, was that the last one? Yeah, that was the last one. So, does redemption look like this? Does our church, I'm not going to worry 
at the moment about all the churches in our town or the capital C church does redemption. Like, do we, are we a place, right, where the stranger can come in and feel welcomed across every dividing line? Okay, not just race. This isn't just, per, like, this, this, this beautiful idea is not just racial, right? There, there's all sorts of implications here. Gender, okay, uh, class, all of it. So d- does, does redemption look like that? Do we welcome the stranger, invite the stranger in, and then when the stranger's here, it's not just, ah, we'll stay over there and be quiet. It's, we need your voice. We need your wisdom. We need your story. We need your input. We need your leadership. We need your care. We need your investment. Oh, another one that I forgot, age. Because if we're honest, right, like, the way our structure and society is set up is if you are an elderly person, you're like getting pushed out the door right now. That's another aspect. Do the elderly feel welcome in our communities to continue to invest and engage and pour into ignorant fools like me? I hope so. So do we look like this and are we moving that direction? And I think I don't have an answer for us predominantly, like to say for sure this, for sure that. I do know I want us to continue to move and dialogue well to pursue what it means to be a more beautiful vision of the church to the world. Because we're not perfect and we haven't arrived. And so Jesus, come, teach us, shape us, and mold us into a people that, man, the world would see as, man, that's, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what I desire. So what are we going to do with it? Um, two applications. Uh, we're going to form these things, and I actually haven't talked to my staff about this, so I'm just going to say it anyway. <laughs> they hate when I do this. Uh, so uh, we're going to try and start here in, in the coming, like, we want to do it right, so we're going to try and set up, we're going to take our time with it, and hopefully kind of have something soft launch over summer, and then kind of have a full launch into the fall, but something uh, like tables, and we'll probably call them tapestry tables, because there's a couple other congregations that are doing things like this, where we can begin to sit down with each other and, and dine and engage and learn and listen and share experience and reality and begin to come to these beautiful places together. Like, I, again, I, I look across the room, and again, like, even the people that, sh- that were kind enough to share their critique this week, that's what we want to do, but just face-to-face, and, and generally over some food, because that just makes everything a little less tense, Okay. Good food, good drink, that'll just get you there, okay? Uh, and so we're going to start these tapestry tables. And I was even sitting down with a guy yesterday for breakfast, and he starts randomly talking about this, his beautiful vision for the church and for multicultural ministry and all that stuff. And he, he uses this word tapestry, which is already the word we were going to use, but the weaving together of this beautiful thing that comes from all colors and sizes and shapes and all that kind of stuff. Okay, and so if you want to be part of that, it's real simple. We just need to start collecting some info so when we start setting them up, and how we're going to do them, you'll know. And we'll talk about them more from the pulpit, and we'll announce kind of what it's going to look like. But we'd love to gauge interest and stuff. And so, man, we want, literally, wherever you line up on this, you are welcome. That is the whole point of it, is for us to not see this moment right now as me preaching for sorry too long as the mic drop moment, but rather the initial start into a healthy dialogue as a community that wants to glorify Jesus. Uh, the second thing is, I um, understand in the present, there might be some more pushback and more thoughts and more insight and more wisdom that I can learn from. Uh, we're, we want to invite you as leaders to just come and hang out with us uh, and to question us and engage with us. And so like, if you want to meet with any one of us, you want to meet with us all together, we'll make a way to figure it out 
and make that happen, to sit down and discuss and dialogue and learn together, okay? Uh, and so that's the part I, I, I'm sure the leaders are like, wait, so if you just told me, told everyone they can go to lunch with me whenever, and yes, they can, okay? So, all of that. Church, I think, again, going back to that conversation that I had with those guys this week, like, I, I have such a beautiful, like, I think love for the church because I know what it's like to be part of it. I knew for a long time what it was to be outside of it. And, uh, man, I have, like, a tremendous hope and love for all of you here. Um, and I want to thank you for being here and engaging and listening and responding and doing all that. And I want you to know that the only possible thing that I truly think will move us down the field um, is, is, is Jesus, right, um, and prayer, right? And then out of that, I think, come all the necessary things we need to do, which is vast. Um, but if you would uh, agree to do anything coming off of this, if you don't want to show up to a table, you don't want to come to lunch with us, whatever, if you could agree to do anything, would you just pray? Like, pray a ton that God would be in the midst of all this and that the Spirit of God would teach us, shape us, mold us, and make us more like himself. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy and your love to us. And God, we just pray that you would guide us and shape us by the power of your gospel today and that we would know the depths of your love for us. God, how you've came and got us even though we were outside, we were enemies. God, we were disobedient and foolish and yet you still came. And God, you gave us the keys to the kingdom. God, that we could come in and, and not just... Uh, God, not just be, but God, be and engage and enact, God, that you literally handed this mission over to a bunch of sinners that have become saints when you could have done this probably better by yourself. And yet, Lord, thank you that you are crafting a more beautiful vision of your kingdom in the church. God, so we just pray blessings over us. We pray that you teach us and shape us, and that Jesus, you be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.